Today's show gains a chocolate flavour as we visit a local chocolate maker to take a sciencey look at how she makes this truly gorgeous substance. Her creations are extraordinary and of the kind you'll not find in any high street shop. Our interest, of course, was purely scientific. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. While chemistry experts feel that crude oil is one of the world's most versatile materials, just for today I'm going to put forward the idea that chocolate is a pretty useful second. What other substances have the property of being absolutely gorgeous? What would we be without chocolate? Well, we'd probably be thinner. In a previous show, we covered healthy eating, so perhaps we're sort of balancing things out today. And in the interest of gaining most definitely enjoyable knowledge, science show reporter Nicola Terry visited a chocolate specialist. You're going to hear about the really good chocolate made by Cheryl Brighty in Newmarket Town Centre. Cheryl started making chocolates to raise funds for an exotic expedition by her daughter, but she soon built a reputation and people kept coming back. With this sort of encouragement, Cheryl Brighty turned herself into a mail-order business that goes by the name of Artistry in Cocoa. I'll give you the link to it later. Artistry in Cocoa hand-make truffles, exclusive chocolate bars and buttons. Awesome as it was, tempting as it was, Nicola spoke with Cheryl purely about making chocolate. Let's hear more. Well, chocolate grows on trees. It grows around the equator and the trees produce a tiny flower that's pollinated by the sort of midge that would bite you. And then they, they turn into pods and they get quite large. We've got one Cheryl's got to show me and it's a bit bigger than my hand. It's sort of a brown gourd and you, you, can, you can hear it rattle. You can. This is a dried pod from Ecuador. And when it's split open, you can see the beans inside in this one. They're arranged in sort of around a central, what's known as a placenta. And then if you have a uh, fresh one, as you see in this I mean picture. A pod. All the beans are white. They're covered in something that's white. Yes, it's, I tend to call it gloop, but it's not gloop. It's actually the fruit, I suppose, because the beans are the seeds. So it's, it's like a fleshy, a bit like what you would find inside a lychee or a breadfruit. And it's that white pulp that's responsible for creating the flavour in the beans. So do we eat that pulp then? It is edible, but we don't normally. What happens is the pods are split open and the beans are... Um, put on hessian or leaves on the floor in the country where it's grown and the pulp will ferment due to the microbes in the air and on people's hands and machetes. Just because they're in the air, like make, is it ambic beer or something? Yes, it is, or or, um, sourdough. And that is creating your flavour of chocolate. Occasionally it goes wrong and you get the flavour of blue cheese. I've had blue cheese before. Um, looked perfect, smelt perfect, chocolate taste of blue cheese. But normally they get it right and it can be anything from two to sort of six days. And what happens then? The next part in the process is actually roasting them, a bit like roasting coffee. And you can bring out another sort of 300 different flavours from roasting your beans. Depending on the temperature. and Yes, how long, how hot you roast it for. It's also actually a part that's affected like wine by the the soil and the climate and the variety. And then you then you actually take the papery husk off the outside, there's a bit here, and the inside, once it's roasted, goes a very dark brown. It's much darker. And that will then be chopped up 
and th and then ground. So, and what do you do after that? Um, well, when it's ground, it will be ground finer and finer and finer um, to produce the cocoa liquor. It's called. Once it's ground enough, it will actually liquefy because the friction will make make the cocoa butter in it melt. You're going to show me that process now. Here I've got some um, cocoa nibs, which are roasted um, cocoa beans that have been chopped up. And we're going to grind them up in a spice mill. Now, it does take quite a long time. Are you all right? And as the cocoa nibs are getting finer, you start, they start to warm up with the friction as well. And you'll start getting the cocoa butter starting to melt. I can smell chocolate. This isn't the way you normally make chocolate, is it? Most of the time we work with couverture, which is already, someone's already done this to it. Well, let's have a look. It's just starting to melt. It's getting a bit more solid here. We need to yeah. give it a good stir in again. This has got to get to almost a sludge, really. Eventually, we got a satisfactory sludge. But it was hard work for the spice grinder. Commercially, this is done by massive machinery, of course, and the chocolate is ground down even finer than icing sugar. And then we proceeded to the next stage, which is called conching. And it involves yet more grinding, this time in a large granite pestle and mortar. The process was invented by Mr Lint, who you've probably heard of, and it's called conching because his original equipment was in the shape of a conch shell. And the idea is the friction keeps the chocolate melted and it also evaporates off any of the more bitter compounds that are more heat sensitive. Yeah. I'm just scraping it off the vessel now. So what's the next stage then? Well, you would, you would get this a little bit warmer and melt it and you would temper it. And that's how you control the crystallisation of the cocoa butter because it's the cocoa butter that makes it set. And what's the stuff that isn't the cocoa butter? It's the cocoa solids. The, the cocoa solids that have the taste. So the, this cocoa butter is going to crystallise? Yes. All right, Cheryl now has a bowl of um, chocolate from a previous occasion in a plastic bowl, which we're going to melt in the microwave just to show the tempering process. So we, wh why do we have to control the crystallisation? Crystals are crystals. Well, this particular crystal cocoa butter is a polymorphic crystal, which means that it has different shapes. And the different shapes, although it's the same substance, affect the physical properties. So the different shapes will melt at different temperatures and they will set slightly differently and it's been discovered that the beta form, which is the form that we, that we need, um, is the one when it sets that will give you a nice gloss to your chocolate that will make it shrink when it sets. So it will pop out the mould, which is very convenient. Um, it also makes it more heat stable and it gives it a nice snap when you get a bar and you break it. It will snap rather than just sort of crumble. What's the difference in melting point between the different forms of crystals? Not a huge amount. We're only talking a couple of degrees. So we've got our melted bowl of chocolate, and the chocolate itself is actually fairly thin. I'm going to pour about two-thirds of it onto my cold surface, which in this instance is granite. It could be marble. And I'm going to start moving it around with my scraper, which is a bit like a glorified wallpaper scraper. 
I start moving it around in sort of a circular sort of figure of eight movement just to spread it out and allow it to cool and move at the same time. It's very important to include all the chocolate in the movement. And as you can probably see, if I hold it up, it's starting to get a bit thicker. Um, I'm going to just put it back into the bowl now, which is slightly warmer. So while I'm moving it around, I am speeding up the crystal growing process. And I am making all the, all the crystal shapes. Now I'm going to put it back into my bowl and I'm going to get a knife and give it a really good stir. The idea is that the chocolate that was left in the bowl is a bit warmer than the chocolate that I've just put in. And if we have hit it right, then it will melt out the crystals that I don't want because my stable crystal has a melting temperature of about 34. And the idea is the chocolate in the bowl comes up to about 32, which is known as working temperature. So now I've got a thicker chocolate, and I'm going to put it on my cold surface, just in a thin layer, spread it with a knife, and hopefully we will get that set in about three minutes. And if it's nice and glossy and not streaky, then we know we've got the right crystal. Okay. So now that this chocolate is, is melted and it's got the right kind of crystals in, what happens now? At this point, you can pour it into a mould to make bars or filled chocolates, or you could actually get a centre and, for example, if you hand-rolled a truffle, and then you could dip that into the chocolate to coat it. There's also another technique, which I don't use, called enrobing, where the object to be coated goes on a conveyor belt and then this sort of chocolate is poured over it to create a shell. Make Sounds it like the speed of setting is quite important. It is, because depending on how fast or slow you set it, you determine the size of crystals that you're going to get. And it's also very important to take the heat away as you set it, because the actual chemical process of setting, of crystallisation, is exothermic. It gives out heat. So that can then warm your chocolate up above your 32 again, and you can start getting the wrong crystals. So... What we have to do, usually, especially with a bar, we may need to put it in the fridge to chill it, but we also need to have airflow around it. So we may well just blow fans on it. To finish now, I'm going to try eating some chocolate. So Trevor's given me, what is this stuff? Uh, it's an 80% cocoa chocolate from Uganda. Yeah. You can hear that, that it's been tempered properly. It gives a nice satisfying crack when Trevor breaks it. And as the science master said... No eating was allowed in the lab. Nicola Terry was talking to Cheryl Brighty of Artistry in Cocoa. Thanks to you for your time and amazing information. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes Store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Nicola Terry. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. <laughs>